Hi, I'm Quinn Fitzgerald. I'm one of the founders of Flare, and I beat the often path by taking the worst thing that's ever happened to me and preventing that from happening to anyone else. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we celebrate unique and unusual success stories to remind us that there are more ways to live our one life on this planet. My guest today is Quinn Fitzgerald, the founder of Flare, a smart, fashionable bracelet that provides 24-7 safety without drawing attention to itself. The product was designed to prevent sexual assault, but its features are perfect for a range of unwanted situations. The bracelet can call 911, notify friends or family that you're in distress, help you receive an incoming phone call or text message, and more. By tapping into an unfortunate but very real need, Quinn has seen her business explode, getting her millions in funding and placement in Time, Fast Company, Forbes, and the endorsement of celebrities like Natalie Portman and more. I'm humbled and honored that she's here with us today to share her story. So here's Quinn Fitzgerald of Flair. That's a great intro, Quinn. Obviously not a wholly positive one. We're trying to keep this show light and entertaining and fluffy, but we're going to dive into some <laughs> deep topics today. We can't avoid we it. Are. But it does bring up a very valuable point at the outset of this, which is that personal experiences are one of the strongest catalysts for building a life of meaning and also a business of meaning. So I think it's great that we're going to jump into this. So welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. We've gone through a few technical difficulties to get here, but we're here now. We're strong. We're ready to go. So let's tell the audience what it is that your product is and a little bit about how you came to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So my product is called Flare, and it's a personal safety communication system. So it's a bunch of confusing words all jumbled together. What that means is it's a system made up of a smart app that connects to a smart bracelet that looks like this and like this. Um, for those of you who are just watching uh, or listening, um, it's a cuff bracelet or a leather bracelet or a beaded bracelet um, that has a technology module underneath it with a button that you can press to get help. You can send yourself a phone call, use that as your excuse to leave. It's a real phone call, but we call it a fake call because it's a recording on the other end that has a conversation with you. It sounds like your partner checking in on you, you're late for a meeting, your roommate is locked out, your friend got broken up with, all reasons and excuses that you would need to leave right away. You can also press that button and send your GPS location to your friends and family, telling them exactly where you are and that you need help. You can also access an on-call trained agent who can help you through an unwanted situation or unsafe situation and can send emergency response directly to your location. That's so cool. Now, when I first discovered your company and your product, I went through a few series of phases because at first I just saw what it actually was without the reason behind it when I do my internet digging for these kinds of things. And my first thought was, can an Apple Watch do all of that? And then I realized, oh, wait, this is something completely different. And then I kind of discovered the simple beauty of your idea and why this is such a valuable thing. And so in your experience, how did you come to the idea that we needed to package this functionality in this way? How did you decide that these were the technologies that needed to go together and it needed to look like this? Yeah. 
So I am a survivor of assault, and so is my co-founder. And that's what I meant in the beginning when I said I took my worst experience ever and changed it into something that would prevent that thing from happening to anybody else again. And I was assaulted by somebody I knew in a relatively familiar place. And when I say safety, I think people tend to think, okay, you're walking down a dark alley and somebody is going to jump out and grab you. That's what the industry has perpetuated. That's a stereotype of what safety actually is. And one in three women and one in four men in the U.S. experience assault in their lifetime. And of that, 80% of that happens with somebody you know in a familiar place. Because of that, 60% of people report that when they get those red flags, they get the feeling in the pit of their stomach or the hair on the back of their neck sticks up or they have this moment where they're wondering what's going on they feel like something is off, but they don't know. They don't take action. And they don't take action because they are worried that their action isn't justified. They're not clear about what the situation actually is. They are worried that they're going to make the situation worse and make that person more violent. They're in fear, right? Or they're not sure how to take action in, in a reasonable way. On top of that, we're faced in a world where when you take action, you're often jeopardizing something that you worked really hard to build, your reputation, your work environment, the list goes on. And so we took all of this information together and we thought, well, what if there was a really discreet way that you could get help where you didn't have to jeopardize anything, where there was a ready-made plan your friends and your family already knew about it. And so that you knew exactly what you could do. You, you had a discreet way of doing it. And you felt confident taking action earlier in a moment when you don't have complete clarity about what's happening. So that's where we came up with this idea of let's take these safety features, the system that gives you multiple options, not just one thing, because only having something that escalates the situation, making it worse, reduces your own agency and your own control. So Absolutely. what if we gave you multiple options and we had it readily available right on your wrist at all times and it didn't actually look like it was for safety so that if you needed to hit that button without anybody around you knowing, you could do that. I think it's a brilliant idea. You came up with it at Harvard Business School, right? Okay. Yeah, so my co-founder and I met there. Okay. So you mentioned a button, but it sounds like, are there multiple buttons for different actions? There's multiple different ways to engage with this thing? You'd be really surprised about how confusing this is for people. The idea that one button can do multiple things is like, right. what? <laughs> I'm an one idiot. One button, so. three things? What's going on there? I've but got my Apple just... AirPods, and that's the only, <laughs> that's the only thing yeah. I know. Yeah, you can just press the button in a few different ways. And based okay. on how you pre press it, um, you can customize the features in the app. So you can press once, you can press and hold it. Um, and depending on how you do that, you'll activate different features. Okay, now you mentioned that there are a few different scenarios, obviously some of them more obvious than others. But how did you settle on the actions that it should take? How did you come up with the variety of different potential responses? Yeah, so it was really hard. So on the like high level, st strategically, 
We felt like one of the reasons why the safety industry has perpetuated victim blaming, often making situations worse for people and sharing false information is because they didn't actually go out and talk to the people who are experiencing these things on a regular basis. They said, hmm, safety, I know what an emergency is. You're in trouble. You need to cause harm to the other person. You need to call the police. And they just rolled with that. And so we knew that we didn't want to make those same mistakes. So instead of just operating off of our own experiences, we went out and talked to literally thousands of other people about their safety. And that was the first step that we took. And that was so important because in the beginning, we didn't have all of these features, but we developed these features by talking to more people. And no two safety situations are ever the same. But there are a lot of patterns that we noticed. One example, right? Somebody would often say to us, oh, I just wish that like somebody would have randomly walked in the door. Like if somebody had just walked in the door, it would have changed the whole entire situation. And we said, okay, that's really interesting. Well, we can make that happen by telling your friends and family who may be at the same party with you or maybe in the same office with you to come and walk in the door. Or we can make that happen with technology and send you a phone call, which is a very similar thing because what it's doing is providing you with an interruption. And then you can take advantage of that interruption and use that as an excuse to leave, to give yourself a moment to collect yourself. Yep, that makes so much sense because time is a huge factor. Buying yourself time is a huge factor. So mm -hmm. an interesting point, obviously there are situations we can imagine where just having a few extra minutes or a few extra hours or some distance would make all the difference in the world. How do you feel about the situation where you mentioned office or you mentioned an environment where people interact with the same people every single day or they have to come back to an environment? They leave and they say, thank God I got out of there today, but I have to come back to that same environment. What thoughts do you have on those types of situations? Yeah. Well, this game that we're playing, though, like, what if this situation yeah. is frankly an endless game when it comes yeah. to safety, because there are any like any combination of situations that you could end up in. And that's a challenge for us as a business. And that's why we call ourselves a safety communication system, because what we want to do is create this platform where we can continue to add more features. So we chose these initial features first because they can help in the vast majority of situations and because there was a clear hole in the market where people were only looking at the emergency situations and not those earlier in the moment questionable unwanted situations. So we knew we could fill that gap and we knew that by filling that gap, we would make it much more of a useful everyday tool instead of something that's a like an insurance product for the rare emergency. That makes sense. Um, but to answer your question, there are a lot of situations, like I'm thinking domestic violence for another example of times when you're going to be with the same people over and over again. And that's why we created something that has multiple features so that you can switch between them. But also we have multiple phone calls. You can change it up. Who's calling you? What story they're saying? Oftentimes what we find is that our users just need to activate it and say, oh, I'm getting a phone call. I got to go. 
right? They don't have to explain the story every single time, mm. or they have a coworker that is a close friend who understands what the situation is and is the person in what we call your crew where the message goes out to them. And we'll just know how to come and interrupt be like, Hey, we have that meeting to go to, or like, I just printed this paper for you. Can we review it? That makes so much sense. Now, that brings up an interesting point, which is to what degree is preparation and knowledge and information necessary to make use of something like this? And at what moment do you advise that people purchase or start discussing this? Because it's not just you buy this product. There's a whole conversation that has to happen with your friends, with your crew, with your family, with the people who might be involved. When do you think people should begin to set that up. As I am a father of a daughter myself, I have a four-year-old, and these kinds of things scare the shit out of me, quite frankly, as you can easily imagine. And the question of when and how to bring up these types of situations looms large in my mind, for sure. Yeah. So taking a step back from your question, I want to explain what our mission is as a company first, because that will give you some context for how I'm going to answer this question. Our mission as a company is to put ourselves out of business and create a world where a product like ours isn't needed anymore. I hate, I hate that we're here. I hate that we have to hide technology in a bracelet to help keep you safe. That's not the kind of world that I want to live in, but we need better tools for today and tomorrow while we work on creating that real lasting change that will solve this problem. I'm sick and tired of an industry and frankly companies saying, here's my the solution. This will solve all of your problems. Flare does not solve safety. We are a tool that you can use for your own safety, but we're one of many tools. And we would hate for you to be the only tool. We're a tool that gives you lots of options in one And that's on purpose. You know, we like to think of ourselves as like the Swiss army knife, right? But we think that you need a lot of other tools. And those tools come in the form of, you know, other devices, if you want them, if they fit for you, but also in terms of self-defense, terms of like mental work to give yourself confidence in knowing what type of situation that you're in and to feeling like you can take action. It requires talking to other people about safety. It requires education to understand the kind of situation that you're even in and to understand what your boundaries are and where they cross the line because we all have different safety preferences and different boundaries and we need to learn what those are so that we then know how to act around them. So when you ask, you know, like at what point do you buy this? At what point do you start talking about this? My personal belief is that you're never too young to start talking about safety. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is exactly when you should buy Flair because only Mm -hmm. you can decide what's right for you. You know, maybe you have a job where you're traveling at odd hours or you're meeting strangers, or maybe you're moving to a new city, or maybe you have bad anxiety. And you know that something like this will give you the confidence that you need when you're going out. Because Flare isn't just about having a tool and using that tool. It's also about how do you live your life when you feel like you have a safety plan in place and that you know you can do these things. Because what people often do for their safety right now is they avoid situations. And sometimes that 
serves as a detriment to themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, you bring up incredible points. All of that makes perfect sense to me. It's uh, an ongoing thing. And of course, there's a cat and mouse element to the whole thing as well, which never ends. You know, this a, a call may work today, but tomorrow people may catch on to the idea of this. And there are so many scenarios that you can imagine where the efficacy goes down or something like that. But would you say that the vast majority of people, you've spoken to thousands of people, that this solution is still very effective? I mean, obviously now you've gotten plenty of feedback. It's been on the market for a while. How have the responses been? Yeah. Incredible. So I think sometimes people ask this question of like, will the efficacy go down as more and more people know about the product? Right. I'm still waiting for that to happen. (laughs) We've been in the market for two years and it hasn't happened yet. Most people feel really confident wearing the product. It comes in many, many, over 35 different styles. And so it's not explicitly recognizable. And we have some customers who actually tell us, oh, I hope they do recognize it because then they know I'm prepared and I'm ready so they won't try things. And so we have some customers who feel that way and some customers who feel like, I hope they never, ever recognize it. Mm. And so we cater to the customers who hope that they never recognize it. Um, But if that problem happens one day, that's a problem I'm really excited to try to resolve. Um, And we'll continue to diversify what the technology can go inside of so that it will continue to not be recognizable. Um, And frankly, you asked a question about what what the market reaction has been and how how do our customers feel about the product and I'm just I'm constantly blown away by our customers by their willingness to share their safety stories with us about how the product has helped them get out of uncomfortable situations and very dangerous situations um, you know when they're being attacked by a loved one for example um But what I get really excited about is how often I see people wearing the product, which is a lot, and that they say that 100% of our customers feel safer when they wear the product. Um, And that's incredibly powerful, knowing the kind of world and the kind of opportunities that exist when people who have felt marginalized or not confident before now feel confident, feel like they can tap into their own agency and go after the things they want. That's the world that I get excited about being in. Well, I can certainly understand that. And it's sort of similar to the philosophy, let's say it does catch on, that if a a would-be burglar sees a camera or a ring or a doorbell cam, they're maybe going to think twice about going into that particular house. And this could be, if it catches on and becomes wildly popular, sort of similar, that somebody says, oh, hey... Well, it's I would just, argue we've already caught on and yeah. we still haven't seen that happen. I, yeah. You know, the worlds in which we're catching on are for the people who need it and want it. And yeah. because it comes in so many different styles, it's not, you know, recognizable. We were a Good time point. best invention, a fast company, most innovative company. You know, we've been remarkably successful um, in creating a brand that really resonates with people around how they actually experience safety instead of the stereotypes. Frankly, I think that's because it comes from an authentic place. It comes from people who know what it's like and can talk about it and are radically transparent in how, um, you know, and how we hate that this has to exist and what our ultimate goal is. So true. And in addition to the many accolades of which there are 
an incredible number and variety. You've also had some support from some celebrities and some high-profile people. Has that happened organically? Have you sought out those kind of partnerships? How has that gone? Yeah. For us, it was organic. Um, I used to work in um, in the Obama White House, and because of that, I had some colleagues who were um, working on women's issues um, at institutions that worked with a lot of celebrities, and uh, just happened to be, you know, telling talking about safety and telling somebody about the product, and they're like, "Oh, wow, that's a wonderful idea. Let me talk to them." Um, but, you know, if you're a founder and you recognize the power of um, celebrity and want to take advantage of it, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. You know, you can work with a PR firm that might already have relationships with celebrities. You can find um, organic connections. You can also talk to other founders who have found ways into celebrities, um, you know, giving those founders opportunity to invest in you and then talking to them about how they did it. Yeah. And obviously the story is just so compelling. It's not the kind of story that you'd like to hear, but it is a very compelling story. It's a very understandable story, easy to relate to others. Um, I suppose I I could throw you a curveball and say that I absolutely hate Barack Obama, which is not true at all. (laughs) I try to make people think I'm a super neoconservative show. That's not the case. Uh, uh, No, I'm a huge fan of Barack Obama. I miss having somebody in power who can finish a sentence and who was so articulate as he was. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I didn't actually know that your background was there. Um, fascinating. Uh, one of the big questions, I guess, that um, that I have about this product is turning something so negative into a positive. I think this is a skill and a trait that all of us wish that we had in general. I think many, many, many people take something negative and it just causes pain and they're unable to come out on the other side with some meaning or positive action. Uh, how has that journey been for you to turn, like you said at the very beginning, the most painful experience in your entire life and to turn it into something else, which is, of course, in a way, reliving that experience. You've chosen to confront that every single day of your life, whereas I think it would be very understandable if you had said, I want to ignore this. I want to never think about that again. How has that journey been for you to make meaning of that? Yeah. I mean, thank you for recognizing that. I um, I, I talk to people when they join our team about how if they're a survivor, you are going to be thinking about your, you know, your safety examples a lot more than you otherwise would have. Um, so when I started Flare with my co-founder, Sarah, I had just come from the, um, public sector into the private sector, you know, going to business school. And I thought I was making this huge transition. And in what world did I imagine I had any qualifications to start a business? because I had never worked in a business before. Um, And so I really loved the idea idea of entrepreneurship, but I never thought that I was an entrepreneur. I, you know, I thought that's so cool. Like I, that's so beyond me. And then it took coming up with an idea that hit so close to home for me that I couldn't put it down. I remember like going on like a, vacation in the middle of business school and being halfway across the world and like 
standing in a desert thinking about flair and being like, okay, this is a sign. Um, and so in a way, finding something that talked about safety helped me overcome my own fears. Um, and it, it never was like a conscious choice. I never was like, okay, I'm going to take exactly this thing and I'm going to make it positive. It was just a no brainer because I knew exactly what the impact could be. My background is actually in conflict resolution. I was the first person in my undergrad to design my own major in conflict resolution. And it's just been a consistent thread throughout my life. Um, and so it just brought everything that I was passionate about and that I viscerally knew the impact of together, that it was an idea I couldn't put down. And then we started working on Flare and I quickly realized that like being an entrepreneur is not a profession. It's actually just a way of living and looking at the world. It's saying, this is the status quo. I don't like the status quo. I think we can do better. And I don't just think it, I'm going to do it. Right. And that can exist in a corporate environment, in a public environment, in a home environment, anywhere. And so I quickly realized that I had actually been an entrepreneur my whole entire life. I just was so intimidated by that title and that word that I never thought that that was actually me. And it took me having this idea that was so close to home and trying it to know that that was actually me and what I've been doing. And there is nothing more powerful and there's nothing more powerful than taking the thing that eats you up inside and transitioning it to find a new definition for it. So I was debating about whether or not to intro, do my intro for this podcast saying like, I like to create my own definitions because how we define safety in this world is, um, you know, has been wrong for a really long time. And the fact that Safety is a base of the period men need. Everybody needs to feel safe in order to do anything. Yet it's the thing that you have like the eye roll, there goes mom or grandma again talking to me about. It just baffles me. It just means that the branding of the word safety is so off, but it should be something that we all immediately jump to and all immediately get and should feel confident talking about. And that's what we're trying to do as a company. But on, t on top of that, Let's talk about what being a survivor is and what the definition of being a survivor is. Being a survivor means that you went through something really awful and that you're on the other side of it. But that doesn't mean like everything is great and peachy. It doesn't mean that that book is closed. It means that you're probably still struggling with it every single day, every single moment. And oftentimes being a survivor is not a choice. It is something that's an identity that is force changed on you in a single moment and it's awful it's not something that you choose and what flair is helping me do as a founder and as a person as a survivor is redefine what i think being a survivor is in a way i'm like taking this identity that was never my choice and redefining it for myself and claiming it again for myself 
And by sharing my own story, I feel like I'm taking this terrible thing and I'm taking that negativity and I'm forcing it into positivity by sharing it with others so that they can learn from it. I think that's wonderful. And it speaks to the flip side of the statistic that you said, one in three or one in four, male or female, depending on how you look at it. The corollary is obviously that 75% of people maybe don't. And it speaks to the general safety of our society that there are groups who aren't marginalized that can believe that everything's fine. But ask a vet who has come back from war in the Middle East who is afraid of the 4th of July and spends their evening shaking in the closet every time they hear an explosion. Ask somebody in a developing country where they have a, a public latrine and they have to go out. There are many examples where people's safety is very quickly questioned. And the idea that somebody can be meaningfully productive in a general sense when they don't feel safe is absurd. And some people, I would say billions of people, experience that on a daily basis. And that's why these people aren't rising up and becoming the next internet tech billionaires. They're just trying to get through every single day. So safety... A huge thing that's been a disadvantage to this industry is that there's not good data out there around the impact of safety because what you're pointing out is that my example of an assault is really powerful but it's a small example of safety itself right anybody with a disability or with a health condition or who visibly looks like an identity that's targeted anybody like that knows that the stat i gave is just a small portion of the impact that safety has in our lives because there's a whole magnitude of reasons. You you know, you listed geographically reasons, you listed conflict and your personal history as reasons that could affect your safety. Yeah, and in uh, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We need to feel safe in order to do anything, but even on a small scale, and that's, if somebody's critiquing you, even criticism, all day makes it very hard to do your best work. If you're showing up to work and somebody's constantly saying, you suck, you suck, you suck, every step, that makes it hard. That's a form of not feeling safe. So I, I completely agree that we do need to feel totally safe in order to be comfortable and to deliver our best work. And I think that's sort of the argument that places like, that's the captivating argument of places like Sweden, where I've been, that seems sometimes to be 50, 100 years in the future when it comes to so many things like gender equality and general safety and cleanliness, and the way that they're able to be just so generally well-adjusted. They're all college-educated. They have free education, free health care, so many things that we're so terrified of here in America, they just have. And witnessing the way that they feel safe has been a profound, life-changing experience for me, just visiting. I realize, oh, you just don't worry about the same things that we do. I was living in East Hollywood. You step over thousands of homeless people every day. You're very aware of what can happen if you slip up. You say, if I if I make a mistake, if I don't earn money this month, I can very easily become like you. And nobody will care if that happens to me. We live in a society where that's possible. That's kind of scary. There are many different degrees of what safety means to us from uh extreme physical danger examples to just microaggressions and tiny things that make our life miserable. So I, I think it's it's a fascinating concept, and you're right, that it goes very deep. 
Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it's a stereotype that when we say safety, we often think of physical safety, but safety isn't just physical, it's mental. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you talk about definitions because again, I have no choice. I'm a very philosophical person and I like thinking about these things and going down thought experiments. And of course, again, I'm raising a daughter. I ask myself, what is the best way? What is the right way? How do I want to approach any of this? Because we all have a choice to approach or not to approach, to educate or not to educate. If we're going to educate, when are we going to educate? And what are we going to say? What can a four-year-old understand? What can a five-year-old understand? But one of the things that I've come to, and again, if you imagine that worst case scenario, which I think any intelligent person will, it's just something that you can't avoid, definitions. You say this identity is thrust upon you in a moment. That I can easily understand. One of my guests, he was paralyzed and became quadriplegic, riding his motorcycle motocross champion. Next day, he can't move any part of his body. A definition, identity thrust upon him. How do... Knowing that we can't escape these identities, we can't change the past, we can't change the pivotal moment where something negative happens. How do we not let these things define us in the broader sense of the term? How do we not let our existence become the trauma, the tragedy? How do we say my definition is the builder, the optimist, the creator, the problem solver, the entrepreneur? How do we make yeah. that shift in our own minds when it's really tough and when everything seems dark and bleak? Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody is an expert in this question. I think it's something that everybody struggles with. And I can't tell anybody else how to do it, but I can share what I've done. And I don't want to sound like I have solved this for myself even. It's an active thing that I work on consciously on a regular basis. And I recognize that I think I'll be working on it for the rest of my life. For me, the way that I think about it is not, I don't want to be defined by this anymore, but it's instead to make my own definition for what that phrase or that identity means to me. So instead of people telling me what it means to be a survivor, I'm going to tell them what I think being a survivor means, and I'm going to act in a way that helps make that definition true for me, right? So I'm going to take the negativity that is associated with this term and turn it into as much positivity as I can by finding amazing connection with other survivors, by talking to them about the thing that hits home most to them. I found a new level of connecting to other people because of this, right? Complete strangers. And I have found this new passion and I have learned so much about how to build technology. Um, I'm not a coder, I'm not a hardware engineer, but yet I have a software and a hardware business. And so by finding my own definition, I have found other ways of finding passion and interest through that definition that helped me connect with others, help me learn new things, help me explore the world. And that doesn't mean that it's entirely positive all the time. You know, I think about my assault way more than I think I ever would have if I wasn't working on Flare. But yet I know 
that there's so much more opportunity that I have because of this way that I'm approaching being a survivor. And so I'm like manually day by day changing the definition by doing the things that I want it to mean instead of doing the things that I don't want it to mean or doing the things that I don't want it to mean is kind of out of my control because we all have a brain that sends off crazy thoughts to ourselves. Uh, So I can't control that, but I try not to focus on it. I try to have the positivity outweigh the negativity. So to go back to your philosophical question, I would say what I'm not doing is changing my identity. What I am doing is changing what that identity means to me. I love that. And it's no doubt that the amount of good that you've achieved already is incalculable. Who knows the amount of good that you've already been able to achieve and the knock-on effects. Talk about a butterfly effect. This is a tsunami effect. You start up something (laughs) much bigger than a butterfly flapping its wings. So I congratulate you. you. Well, I, I mean it very sincerely. I think it's incredible. It's a remarkable story. And what you've achieved already is it's remarkable and worthy of celebration. So that's why I have you here. I think it's awesome. Just Thank full you. stop. <laughs> so if I don't, and there's if, a if lot you don't of hear other that, people. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of other people. Like safety is a huge problem. It's institutional, political, societal, cultural, legal, educational. Like there's so many different aspects of what brings this like perfect package of perfect in a bad sense, perfect package of creating this world where a lot of people's safety is tied to their identity or their profession or their location or their ability. The list goes on, right? And so we need real change across a lot of different areas. And there are thousands of thousands of people who are taking action to do that out there so i I don't want to sit here and say like thank you so much for the tsunami effect because i don't think that it's just us and just me i know for a fact it's not and i think that that the real effort is the effort that's addressing the, the concrete root change yeah And so many people in one situation or another feel trapped. So many people feel in many situations that they don't have a choice. I put up with a boss that I hate at a job that I hate because I feel that I don't have a choice. I have to earn money. I have to do these things. And that makes a lot of this stuff tricky. And uh, once uh, there was a situation, I won't even say the relationship to me to really anonymize it, but somebody very close to me many, many years ago was in a situation, a horrible situation like you described, a nightmare scenario where she was working at a restaurant this was decades ago and a coworker pulled a gun on her. And you can imagine where the idea was that that was going ahead. And the next day, she chose to come back to work because I need this job. I need this money. I can't afford to not get my paycheck. So many of us are we feel trapped and this society the way that we've established it it really brings it out and if you look i don't know if you're ever on reddit i don't know why you would be but there's a community that used to be called anti-work and it's now called work reform and you see the way that people just in general behave when they feel trapped and a lot of us in many situations feel trapped for one reason or another 
And that yeah, makes and us these not are, take action. And these are such emotional moments that they're incredibly hard to talk about. And so like you go to places like, like Reddit and you see you know, people are able to transparently talk about these situations because they feel like it's anonymous and you can really see the impact that these moments have on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's across the board. And I agree that it's not a quick fix. It's not one thing. And there are things way over here that are completely related to this, that a lot of us have a hard time seeing. It seems like there are so many elements to safety and security. And it's not just, this is one example of people on a college campus. Well, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that tie into that. And also yeah. our feeling of self-worth in a general sense. What do I deserve? What am I worthy of? That mm -hmm. manifests itself across the board in every category of our life. And if we don't feel that we're worth something, if we don't feel that we have options, literally, metaphorically, how are we going to behave? So I think and your that, solution empowers people. That is people. a conversation you should have with your daughter. <laughs> right, exactly. How do we feel empowered and how do we feel... And you said 100% of the people who use your product, they feel different. They feel mm -hmm. more in control. They feel less like they're stepping over a cliff's edge into the unknown. And that has enormous value right there. Mm -hmm. Just ending it right there. Uh, so super cool. Uh, let's get into a bit of the, the practical things. So people out there who are affected by something, anything, something that's deep in their heart that they can't get rid of. They're on a journey across the world and they can't get an idea for a business. They don't think they're an entrepreneur. I think a lot of people fall into that category. How do you advise that somebody might start? How did you start? How did you start putting the plan into action? Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to start, but I think the most important thing that you can do when you're starting is to listen to others and to put yourself in front of others who experience the same problem that you're thinking about and try to understand what their pain points are and then be willing to be flexible and change your ideas based off of what you've heard. Because so much of, it's so easy to listen and say, I'm doing this step. I'm going to go and talk to people and check that box. Done. Great. But here's my idea. You can't just go and listen. You have to actually act on what you're hearing and be willing to change based off of it. Because, you know, there are so many safety products that end up in a junk drawer that nobody uses. And I didn't want to just create another thing that would make some money but yet end up in a junk drawer because that's like capitalism at its worst. Absolutely. And so, and so I needed to make sure that what I was making would be something that would be useful. So we, well, what we did was we started by talking to thousands of people. We did one-on-one -on -one interviews, focus groups with other people there. And we did surveys, um, just online surveys. There's a lot of platforms online where you can make a survey and send it out to a hundred people for pretty cheap. Um, and, and a thousand people and more. Right. And then we started prototyping. We started building out parts of our product using the most rudimentary things possible because we were at school at the time, we were lucky enough to have access to, um, 
like an accelerator innovation program that had a 3D printer. So we 3D printed in plastic, literally plastic bracelets. And then we found some engineers and we gave them a small portion of equity of our company to work with us to build the prototypes for the hardware, the electronics and the hardware and the, um, the app. So then we built rudimentary versions of those and we put it in the plastic and we literally spray painted it silver and gold to make it look like jewelry. And then we asked people to wear it and we had people who wore it for a week and they were like, actually, this was valuable. And we're like, Hmm. wait, so you're saying that wearing this plastic thing on your wrist was made you feel safer and was valuable. Well, that gave us the like knowledge to know that if we actually went and built it for real, that it would actually add value. Because if they're willing to wear a plastic thing, then they'd have to be willing to wear real jewelry for it, right? Absolutely. So that's how we started. And I think that the things that I'm trying to explain is that we went and we listened to people, then we acted and we changed. And then we started by building something that was frankly really shitty and had like no chance of ever making it but we started by building because as soon as you build you're learning already and what's important is that when you're a founder an entrepreneur you're learning and as you learn you learn that something is wrong you're still progressing forward even if you're building something that you know is going to be wrong in the end you still learn parts that work in the way on the way and then you can use that those parts that work when you build the next thing. And so the most important thing that you can do is just get started and just keep going. Take one lesson, bring it into another lesson, bring it into another lesson and set small goals for yourself because otherwise the, the end goal seems insurmountable and unachievable. Mm, Yeah. That's all of what you just said is fantastic advice. That's going to be cut out. That's going in the reels. (laughs) That's the perfect stuff. That's the good stuff right there. Uh, In a brass tack sense, this thing can place calls. How does that work? Is it attached to a cell phone tower? Do you need a plan? What is the mechanism that it uses for that? So we utilize your phone. So there's a limitation in that, which is that you have to have your phone nearby. Your phone has to have battery and service in order for the product to work. Something that we're very clear with our customers about. But with that limitation comes huge ability to actually make something that's small enough to be discreet and look like jewelry. Your phone is usually always on you and charged anyways. So we know that it will help you in the vast majority of situations. And we use um, the power of your phone to limit the power that you need on the bracelet so that you never have to charge it because we want it to always be ready and we never want it to feel like a burden for you. Absolutely. So I guess I just didn't know this, but do all phones have the capacity to call themselves if the phone is, how do you receive a call? So we have a whole entire backend system on top of your phone. So what we do is your bracelet pings your phone, your phone pings our backend, and then our backend jumps into um, into work. We have like a suite of phone numbers that we own and we use and that customers can choose between because some carriers limit some numbers and not other numbers. And so they can test out which ones work for them. And then that will be the number that 
flare comes from, they can also change it up if they want to. They can save that number in their phones if they want to pretend like it's Felicia calling them, for example, they can. Um, or if it's you, they can put Ross Palmer in there. Yeah, that's right. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what it will do is it will send you a real phone call. So we're actually sending people real phone calls. We're paying for those phone calls as part of our service that we offer, um, which comes free with a bracelet. And um, you get a phone call and it's a recording on the other end. We've made over 10 different recordings um, and we've had customers make recordings for us too, which is really fun. That's really great. Yeah, the possibilities are obviously endless there. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant idea, profound, and the cost is very affordable. It's just over 100 bucks, right? Yep. So That was really important to us. Um, you know, we exist in a world where your socioeconomic means can also impact your safety. Um, and so we knew that people who need it most might not be able to afford it. Um, so we tried to price the product at... Um, the best that we could. Um, it's not perfect. It's still not accessible to a lot of people. So we actually have a nomination program where um, you can nominate yourself or somebody else in your life um, to get a product for free. And we select up to five people every single month out of that nomination program. I love that. I love that initiative. Well, we're winding down the end of our hour now. So I like to ask this question. Is there a piece of unusual advice or something that you believe that you think that very few other people believe? Ah, I, um, I'm not sure how unusual this is, but the first thing that comes to mind, we're talking about what it's like to be a founder, right? And I think the most important advice that I could give an early stage founder is that you know your business better than anybody else. It sounds really basic, but it's super easy to forget because you need a lot of help as a founder. And so you're always talking to a lot of different people and trying to network, especially trying to talk to people who um, have some clout or knowledge about the industry and space that you're in. And so people want to help you too, right? Because they will believe in you and they will like your idea. And the ways that they can help you is by giving you money, giving you ideas and advice and giving you connections. And a lot of people don't have money to give. And a lot of people, some people have connections, not everybody um, can give them all the time. And so a lot of people end up giving you advice and ideas. And some of our best ideas came from getting that advice and has been really helpful. But you get a lot of bad advice too. And we're in the business of innovation. If we did everything the same way that everybody else before us has done it, then there would be no innovation and there would be no startups. And so it takes a lot of confidence in yourself to hear somebody with a lot of clout give you advice and decide that that's not something that you're going to do, right? So I say develop your own mental trash bin. Take the advice in, say thank you so much, no matter which way you send it. Take some of it and say, I'm going to run with that. That's a great idea. I agree. I'm going to take it. I'm going to make it my own. And then take some of that advice and throw it in your mental trash bin and remind yourself that you know your business better than anybody else. Brilliant. What a great answer to that. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's so cool. So last question before we wrap this up is you've done some incredible things already. Millions in funding so far. I think I saw that revenue increased 300 some percent year over year at a certain point. It's catching on like wildfire. 
Do you see yourself running with this forever? Do you plan to build and sell the business or have you not thought about that? Yeah. So our business is to, to put, put yourself out, out of business, business. Yeah. and create a world where a product like ours isn't needed. And that's going to take a long time. Yeah. Um, and it's really that part about creating a world where a product like ours isn't needed. And in order to achieve that, there's a lot of potential paths that we could go. And that's going to be what drives us in that decision. We have a lot of opportunity coming up and um, it could look like a lot of different things. But for us, it's really about how do we find the right place where we have the most resources and opportunity to continue our mission and to help change the face of safety, making it more accessible to a lot more people. So instead of it being that thing that's like, oh, I roll, grandma, don't tell me, or grandpa, don't tell me about that. It's now like the, oh, did you hear about this thing? Or have you thought about this part of your safety? It's changing how much we talk about safety and making it much more real, but based in reality and your own experiences and giving people the confidence they need to share those experiences to know that they're not at all alone. I think it's fabulous. I think it's such a great mission. And if anybody was paying attention to the last hour, just nothing but gold in there, just tons and tons <laughs> of gold, I think. A lot thank of you. good stuff. So thank you again for joining me. And as I always like to do, I will leave the floor to you to wrap this up. So whatever action you want people to take, whatever you want to promote, you can have the last word and close us out here. Thank you. I mean, my request to everybody is just to go home and talk about safety with a loved one today. Um, that's the best thing that you can do right now. Uh, if you're at all interested in learning more about me or our company flair you can find out about us at get flair g-e-t-f-l-a-r-e.com or at get flair on instagram and tiktok well that's great again thank you for being here uh quinn it's been an absolute pleasure and with that the official podcast is over mm -hmm.